down and then see if there's any patterns that emerge. And those are your first principles. When you cannot stop writing or when you, when you can't, sorry, when you can stop writing, you have found the end. And maybe the end is, I've got to learn more about this because this really isn't the end. I'm just limited in this area. Or maybe it's like, hey, this is what I truly believe. Welcome to Victory Over Self Radio, a podcast that dives into all things athletics. On today's episode, we have Alex Effer of Resilient Training and Rehabilitation. On this episode, we dive into osteopathic medicine, developing your own philosophy or belief system, and biomechanical reasons behind certain movements. This is a great episode from an expert in the field. Hope you enjoy. All right. Welcome back to Victory Over Self Radio. Today we have a phenomenal guest that the the good Lord has just crazily blessed me with. Uh, so we have on Alex Effer, who one day just popped up in uh, my my newsfeed, I guess you could call it on Instagram. Loved what he had, hit follow, uh, and then he just kept popping up, and I just kept taking in more and more of uh, his videos, his information. DM'd Alex right away, and I was like, "Hey, man, I'd love, I'd love to talk to you. Love to have you on the podcast if we can." I sent, uh, you know, the message to Blair and Ross saying, "Dude, I, th- I think this guy's going to come on." Then I googled him, and I was like, "Oh shoot, he is a big dog. Like Alex is super legit." I <laughs> uh, and then I got, you know, I started getting the nerves of like, "Oh man, he's been on some big podcasts." So uh, we're super blessed, super lucky to have on Alex. Uh, so. Before uh, we hit the record button, Alex was just telling me a little bit about uh, osteopathic medicine and kind of his take on that. And I was like, oh, shoot, here at Liberty, where I'm at right now, we have an osteopathic school. Um, So, Alex, uh, welcome. First off, thank you so much for uh, coming on. I I know we're going to learn a ton, but man, just kind of right out of the gate. I'd, I'd love to you know, hear your take kind of again. And then uh, for, for the listeners at home here, what's with the osteopathic stuff? Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me on, Chris. Um, yeah, so early on in my career, I was doing a lot of clinical rotation because I wanted to be a physiotherapist. And not that there's anything wrong with physio, but it just wasn't for me. I really enjoyed more you know, training athletes. And my honestly, my goal was to work with a professional sports uh, team in the NHL. Yeah. I wanted to work in the NHL because I wanted to get my name on the cup. Oh, we were playing hockey. Love right? that. We were playing hockey. Yeah. Was not good enough. I played competitive, but still, you know, like there's a select few that are able to, you know, make it. So, yeah. So I, I thought I could, you know, get to the NHL in a different way. Um, but I ended up by, you know, working at different clinics and working at a university. Um, and what my main goal was to figure out why every different profession, physios, chiros, uh, even trainers were looking at the body in different ways and how to amalgamate it together. And so I started working with a couple osteos. Now, Canadian osteopathy is very different than U.S. because, you know, osteopathic medicine in the U.S., they're doctors, mm-hmm. And in Australia, it's it's an undergrad. And Uh so each of these different osteopathic practices are very different. I would say the osteopathic, like the Canadian osteopath and the American are quite similar in that they talk about different things like the organs and, and organ manipulation and stuff like that. So, but for me, it wasn't really about that. It was the way that they viewed the body. Mm -hmm. It was the way that they viewed compensations. And there was a guy who was the OG osteopath, um, Zink. Mm-hmm. His name is Zink. He came up with something called common compensatory patterns. Mm-hmm. And if you've taken any courses by Prostor Restoration Institute, like PRI or anything like that, they all reference that as the common compensation, which is a pelvis on the left is more forward than the right. And we've got this counter rotation back to the left, which is why we have a pelvis forward on the left and a shoulder hiked up on the left. It's also why we're better at rotating towards the right side. Mm-hmm. 
everyone says it's dominance, right side dominance, but it's, it's not. There's a lot of other asymmetries in our body that feed into that pattern. But to me, just diving down, like diving deep into the osteopathic research and literature, to me, it was like, this is where it's at. There was one of them that said, um, if you don't correct breathing, no other movement matters. And the reason is because if you don't breathe, you die, mm-hmm. right? There's 20,000 to 30,000 breaths a day that you take, mm-hmm. which means that every single system in your body, muscle, bone, neurological system, cardiovascular, endocrinology, those are all supporting breathing, your ability to breathe. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not trying to rant about why breathing is you know, very important. But what I'm saying is if you extrapolate that information – Breathing is one aspect of osteopathic mm-hmm. um, that I found. And then gait was also another first principle and how they combine the two together in order to view movement or construct this model of movement. It's you can draw a lot of parallels. And so if you look at movement and exercises as a function of a phase of respiration and a phase of gait, you can categorize exercises so simply. Awesome. In that we've got breathing in, inhalation, which is more external rotation based, and then breathing out, which is more internal. We've got three phases of gait. We've got heel strike, which is more external rotation, mid stance, internal rotation, and then late stance or toe off. That's going to be more of a re-external rotation. But what it's telling you is a forward progression of your center of gravity. And so what I'm doing now is I'm thinking, okay, well, based on these phases of gait, these all require different biomechanic movements of the foot, ankle, knee, hip, rib cage, and the same thing with breathing. Mm-hmm. If I'm breathing in, everything's externally rotating. My foot's supinating. If I'm breathing out, everything's pronating, internally rotating. And so when I was starting to look at this stuff and working with these osteos who were viewing the body in this way, where gait was one of their primary assessment measurements, I'm like, this is what nobody else is doing. Mm-hmm. And this just makes sense to yeah. me. We are looking at the same human. Why are we looking at it from a bone perspective versus a muscle perspective? Why aren't we figuring out how all of these interact together? And then through that, identify what the root cause of their compensations are. Yeah. And this is not a rehab thought process that I'm talking about. This is a movement thought process as trainers, strength conditioning coaches, physiologists, physio physios. Like we all need to be think our, our lens, our perspective is through movement. That's how we improve people's physical capacity. Right? Whether that is physiological, mechanical, or neurological, we are influencing all three of those systems at the same time, no matter what we do. We can modify lunges and split squats to be able to influence all of those factors while influencing the shape of the ribcage, the shape of the pelvis, um, as well as its movement. Right? There's another guy named Philip Beach. believe he's an osteopath as well he wrote a book called muscles and meridians Mm. and he believed that movement is the coherent change of shape so movement is all about changing shapes so if you think about a foot a foot can have a high arch which is one shape or can have a flat arch which is another shape but it makes those two movements only And so you can now associate those two movements with how the knee moves, how the pelvis moves, and then you can get a chain reaction effect. And then with that, you can modify how I'm going to hold the load, how I'm going to hold the weight. Am I going to hold the weight on just the right side or am I going to hold it on both sides? Am I going to put the cable um, to do a cable chop at the top of the cable column or am I going to put the bottom to do cable lift? Each of those is going to influence hip mobility as well as muscular structures that I'm going to use to facilitate movement. And so to the other aspect is that physios believe that we have, osteos believe that we have this internal 
force that we are, you know, managing. And that goes with breathing as well. There's two aspects to it. One, there is pressure and volume. So think of pressures like intra-abdominal pressure or intra-thoracic pressure. That has to do with the diaphragm and the pelvic floor's position. So if I breathe in, the diaphragm contracts and it descends. And what it'll do is it'll push all of my organs and my guts all down to my pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. So my pelvic floor has to relax and catch it like a hammock. So that is going to allow me to descend into a squat or a lunge or a split squat. And then as I produce internal rotation or exhale, I'm going to reduce the amount of intra-abdominal pressure. And because if I have too much pressure, then the pelvic floor can't push the organs back up because there's too much downward pressure. So I have a pelvic floor that now shoots up and a diaphragm that now becomes the hammock and catches it. Mm-hmm. So it's like this constant, you know, uh, throw and catch of the organs within the body. And a very interesting uh, perspective that I was told early on is I was asked, why do you think that older people use crutches? Why are they so hunched over? It's because they cannot control, they don't have enough, not abdominal strength, but they don't have enough pressure control within their thorax mm. to be able to hold themselves up against gravity. Mm. And so they have to lean into something to produce that force into the ground. So let's say you get an athlete who's doing a lunge or a split squat and they're holding a rod or they're holding a dowel and pushing it into the ground. But they are putting a lot of weight into that dowel because they can't hold themselves up because of a balance issue Mm -hmm. with air quotes. Because balance is just a a mismanagement of internal pressure. Mm -hmm. So that understanding of how the body works on the outside, but more importantly, how the body works on the inside was just a massive game changer for how I looked at programming movement. Heck yeah. Man, no, it's it's amazing how you've been able to kind of just connect all these kind of different paths and worlds. And that's going to kind of lead me into uh, uh, my first question here, but... Man, when you said that Stanley Cup, that I just wanted to flip over my table. That got me so <laughs> fired up, right? And uh, it, very early, even before I you know, got a job, I was in college and uh, a really wise mentor was like, all right, how are you, how are you going to do well? Like what's going to differentiate you? And it's when I was heavy into CrossFit and I was like, I could teach a snatch really well. And he just looked at me yeah. deadpan and he was like, you should be the movement guy. I remember thinking like movement guy. I wanted people get people jacked and tan, Uh, but you know, all these years later, uh, it, it's definitely, uh, you know, hitting home of like, I should have just been the movement guy from day one. Um, so for the listeners here, if, if you're liking a lot of what Alex has said so far, uh, just look him up on Apple podcasts on Spotify, Google his name. He has tons of phenomenal podcasts out there, uh, where you could hear even more than we'll have time to get into today, but, uh, really, yeah, do, do your time digging into his stuff guys. Cause it's awesome. And so, uh, Alex on a, a podcast, you were on the upside strength podcast. Uh, you mentioned sitting down, he had a, a, a bunch of paper, a really big paper. I can't remember what you said there. And basically you just wrote down like all your principles, all your stuff that you believed in. And I, I just, this is pure selfish for me. I want to know what was that like? What was that process like? What, what did you come away with after doing all of that? Yeah. So I heard that kind of, you know, idea to write things down from Pat Davidson. Okay. Yeah. And he mentioned that and I, it really struck home with me. I'm like, you know what? I have these things that I do, but if I, if you were to come to me and say, Alex, explain to me what you do, I wouldn't be able to tell Mm -hmm. you because I can just do it. But explaining it is a totally different ball game because you really have to have organized thought and make it really sequenced. And so what I did is I took a bunch of pieces of paper. First, I started with like a whiteboard 
and I was doing like a mind mapping, whatever it's called, like the spider graph, mm-hmm. where like you just have the center, like movement, and then you have neurology, physiology, and stuff like that, and just kind of all spread mm-hmm. out. And my intention with that was if I could intersect all of these different things. So my main ones were neurology, biomechanics, uh, breathing, gait, endocrinology, like stress, like physiology and stuff like that. Uh, Just normal, like weight training principles, right? And then rehabilitation principles that I came across. And so I put all those and it all merged to gait and breathing. Wow. Wow. Everything I wrote out eventually was merged to gait and breathing. Even like I've, you know, theoretically come up with how I can manipulate sets and reps to influence different physiological changes in the body based on gait. Mm -hmm how I can program a whole off season based on different phases of gait, based on how I believe there are, you know, certain changes in the cardiovascular system and in the blood flow, muscle physiology and stuff like that. And so I want to do that so that I can be more clear about my thought process and where I wanted to put my effort. So what I do when I, when I learn something and I learned this from um, a psychologist. Uh, I can't remember his name. He wrote the book in Influence yes. and Persuasion. Robert yeah, yeah, yeah. Cialdini, I think. So he says that the best way to learn is to batch up your learning. Mm-hmm. And so for three months or four months out of time, you pick one topic and you just read only stuff like that. about that topic. So I went after the foot. I went after the knee. I went after the pelvis. And... He believed that by doing that, you could be a master at these individual topics. By, by just focusing four months on just this topic, you are going to be more specialized in that topic. Mm-hmm. I did that for the whole body. I did that for neurology. I did that for stress physiology, right? I did that for strength training. Like I went over, you know, Verkachansky, you know, all the Russians. Mm-hmm. I did, you yeah. know, um, triphasic we did like mel sif i did like all that stuff Mm -hmm. that was my strength training phase okay great have all that okay now let's go after joint by joint right or structure by structure you know hip rib cage neck cranium all that stuff because i wanted to be able to combine them all together and i took a bunch of different courses sfma pri dns frc um, SF, yeah, SMA, uh, and a bunch of different like courses from people like Eric Cressy, Mike Robertson. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just trying to, again, trying to bring it all together. And luckily I reached out to somebody that I heard on a podcast. His name's Mike Ron Karate. He works in professional basketball. Try finding that guy on social media. You cannot, yeah. he's like the smartest guy who's not on social uh-huh. media. And he kind of did this where he was amalgamating all these systems and I was, he was my, you know, I was able to like ask him a bunch of questions and talk to him when he was in town with the team that he was working with at times at the Hawks, I think Um, we would go lift, we would go have dinner. We would talk because I was going down PRI rabbit Mm -hmm. holes and all that stuff. And he really helped kind of like, you know, influence my thought process on how to go about thinking about these things. And so for me, it, it, or for you, if you want to really understand where the first principles are, your first principles of thinking, because there's so much information in this industry, mm-hmm. you don't know where to start, write down everything you think is important or think about what, how you program, start by just programming. What are my principles of programming? What do I do on a daily basis? How do I assess? You know, what is my exercise selection process? What is my assessment process? You know, what are my beliefs in terms of communication? Write those down and then see if there's any patterns that emerge. 
those are your first principles. When you cannot stop writing or when you, when you can't, sorry, when you can stop writing, you have found the end. Mm. And maybe the end is, I've got to learn more about this because this really isn't the end. I'm just limited in this area. Or maybe it's like, hey, this is what I truly believe. And so I can wipe out everything else on the board and these are the main things. And I built a whole mentorship on those main mm-hmm. things. Heck yeah. Man, that's uh that's gonna be an Instagram reel right there. Uh when when you <laughs> when you stop writing, you have found the end. Heck yeah. I love it. No, that's really good. I I, I love it. Um so that, that was like super selfish. That question was for me. I'm not really thinking like other people listening to this. Uh, so thank you for that answer. But, uh, no, but, no, but in all honesty, like I can't tell you how many questions I get about people asking, where do you start? Mm-hmm. What books do you like reading? Yeah. Like, well, what do you want to get better at? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you suck? At? Like everyone believes that there is this generalism versus reductionism, Right. Whereas reductionism is, I got to get very specific. Uh, shoulder pain is because of the shoulder, right? Whereas generalism is like, no, there, it can't possibly be true. There's so many different factors that would lead to that shoulder to have issues. But you can't be generalistic until you've been reductionist. You have to understand how the joints move and work. And then what loading does to it, what weights do to it, what blood flow does to it. Before you can then say, hey, if I take a step with my left foot and I push the inner part of my left arch into the ground, that is going to have a chain reaction effect and allow me to better rotate my thorax on that right side. I can get better thoracic rotation by pushing on the inside of my left foot in a certain position. You can start to go there but until you understand what the mechanics are of these different areas and be, become reductionist, you can't really you know, do anything. So my, all my main advice always is learn functional anatomy. If you want to geek out, you can go down neurology rabbit hole because everything, like everyone says, like everything is neurological. But we view the body from a biomechanical perspective. We are theoretically, you know, trying to extrapolate what the nervous system is doing by looking at the biomechanic system. Like I'm like, Oh, this person doesn't have, like, there's a thing where it's like, this person doesn't have internal rotation. They must be fight or flight. It's like, well, I mean, that's one perspective, but this person doesn't have, have, you know, internal rotation. Okay. Well, how do we change the shape of the rib cage to allow the shoulder to move effectively? To promote internal rotation. It's like, okay, well now I could do a lateral shoulder raise to improve internal rotation. Cause I know that's going to laterally smush my rib cage and then open up my chest. So, you know what I mean? Like there's different ways of, of viewing it, but what I try to do is minimize the complexity. It's like, Hey, there's complexity. Let's appreciate it. If we dumb it down too much we're going to be wrong because we're going to start to leave things out that are actually very important, but we want to simplify it enough. Cause if you can simplify it, you can understand it. And so that's, that's the other thing that I really dove into was uh, dynamic systems and dynamic systems theory. And if people don't know what that is, it's like basically Think of your body as being a dynamical system in that if I focus just on your knee, then I am neglecting how everything else can influence the knee, as I said, above and below. And so you can't take one part out of the system. Like you can't take that one puzzle piece out, observe it, look at it and put it back. You've got to rearrange the entire puzzle so that, that puzzle piece isn't in the wrong place, right? And so by learning systems thinking, you're also allowed to, or you're also able to, I should say, 
view the body more, I hate the word holistically, but it's the most, you know, it's the best word, but view the body holistically. And so you can get the biggest change with the entire body versus in one area. No, that's good. Oh, I love it. Um, so, but before we hit record, you were just sharing how one of the first experiences uh, for work and all that that you had was kind of being the gap or the bridge between uh, the meatheads in the weight room and the uh, the the PTs, the ATs, the kind of return to play rehabby uh, people mm-hmm. at the University of Toronto. And so, I think this is a kind of a great question. Here is uh, because it, you have the ability to go on both sides. Let's say you have a, an athlete, you have a client, somebody you're working with, and they're just, they're a train wreck. They have tons of gaps, tons of issues. Um, let's just say they're in high school. They've been in their high school weight room, you know, doing uh, God knows what. We've all seen uh, videos on Instagram and Twitter, right? Um, they're a pretty good athlete. After your assessment, you find lots and lots of gaps. All right. Where, where do you start with them? And so, um, from, you know, hearing a little bit, I'm going to assume and tell me if I'm wrong and then, you know, just go with it. I'm assuming you're going to start with breathing in some way, but yeah. So where do you start with that, that athlete or just that general population client that has all these issues, all these gaps after your assessments? Yeah. I used to teach everyone how to breathe. Mm -hmm. What I realized is no one gave a shit about that. Perfect. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So I stopped doing that. Interesting. I wasn't going to waste this person's time because the, the reality is these people are expecting something. Uh-huh. So I got to meet them where they are. Yeah. I can say, hey, look, based on your assessment, X, Y, and Z, those are all limited. Mm-hmm. Right? What we got to do is we got to improve those because they're just going to make the things that you're good at that much better. Mm-hmm. And so breathing is not in my mind because as I said, what I can do is if I understand breathing in and breathing out and what those mechanics are throughout the entire body, I can then pick an exercise that is going to create the same shape mm, okay. of the rib cage to be able to facilitate that movement. Now people are going to breathe during the movement. They're not going to, like, there's a lot of people who hold their breath, but they get gas really quickly. And so if I can constrain them as much as possible doing a front foot elevated split squat with a, ipsilateral dumbbell hold mm-hmm. and you know like all these different constraints then their breathing is just going to reinforce what i want i don't want to have to cue them hey breathe in breathe out it's like no just breathe just do this movement mm-hmm. don't fall over you know yeah, yeah and feel your heel um but to answer your question i look at the subjective measurement Mm -hmm. sounds terrible to say, but I always ask if somebody, you know, is is like if they're in pain or their discomfort, what they feel like, I don't take a lot of, there's not a lot of reliability in what they think Mm -hmm. because they have no idea about the body. They say their quad is their calf. Do you know? Oh yeah. So, you know what I mean? So it's like for me to say, okay, well, you know, they're feeling some discomfort in their knee. You know, and they're like, oh, I think it's because of this. It's like, they really don't know. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take, you know, my measurements, like my straight leg raise, my squat, toe touch, hip flexion, all that stuff. And I'm going to look at that as an indication of how the body's moving. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say, okay, that's straight leg raise. That's limited. They They only got 10 degrees of straight leg raise on the left. They've got 20 on the right. That indicates that that pelvis is turning to the right. I've got hip flexion of 60 on the right. I've got hip flexion on the left of 50. Okay. They don't have a lot of room in the front of their hip. And likely they've probably got tension in the front of their hip. We want to talk about muscles, probably like hip flexors or something like that. And then on the back of their hip, they're being pancaked from front to back. Like, uh, like their glutes are being stiff. Mm -hmm. One of my friends calls it like a, a spatchcock. Okay. Of the, yeah. if you know what a spatchcock is, is like you slice the, the chicken and it kind of spreads uh-huh, open, uh-huh. right? So it's like that kind of position of the pelvis where they're really pancaked. Um, so now I know, okay, well, based on this, I cannot give them exercises that require more than 60 degrees of hip flexion. 
going to limit them. So I'm going to do a heels elevated position, squatting to a box that's maybe 60 degrees, right? Because if they go lower, they're going to arch their back. They're going to hinge their hips back. They're going to do all these weird things um, that's just going to reinforce their pattern. And so for me, I look at their objective measurements and my intention is trying to improve those. I don't have to take away training. I just have to modify it. The other thing it tells me is how far forward their center of gravity is. Chances are you're working with an athlete. They've got a pretty far forward, like their center of gravity is pretty far forward. So you got to bring them back. Um, so I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about how much gravity do I want to give them? And so when you're laying on your back, no gravity. Standing up, maximum amount of gravity. If I take two dumbbells overhead, reach them overhead, press them overhead, I am increasing gravity. If I take a back squat or if I take a bar and put it on their back, that's pushing them forward again. That's increasing gravity. The more forward I go, the more gravity is acting on my body. If I take a front squat or a goblet squat, that's going to shoot my center of gravity backwards. If I elevate my feet on a ramp, that's going to bring my center of gravity backwards. If I reduce the depth of hip flexion or their squat, that's going to reduce gravity. Because the deeper I have to go, the more I've got to come up, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So again, your deep squat, that's going to be the hardest position. I've got to overcome so much gravity to be able to come mm -hmm. up. And so my principles are always, where's your center of gravity? Do I push them forward or pull them back? How much gravity can I get away with? Like, do I need to take away gravity? Do I need to do a TRX supported heels elevated squat? Can I do a back squat? When I do a box squat, mm -hmm. right? And if I can get those two, then I can improve range of motion. Crazy. Mm -hmm. So am I going to cue more heel heavy, which again brings that center of gravity back? Or am I going to cue more forefoot, like the, the met head or the balls of the toes heavy? Mm -hmm. Where I'm going to shove them forward, right? And so... Each of these are the, those two main things are going to allow me to select the right exercise to then go from there. Cause you can come to me, Chris, and you can say, Alex, I've got, I've got a torn Achilles on the right side, or I've just rehad a torn Achilles. Um, I tore my ACL nine months ago, coming back to training. I've got back pain. I've got neck pain. I've got shoulder pain. And you're like, Oh my God, this person's got so many things. Where do I start? Don't worry about those things. Worry about the objective measurements because they're going to tell you how that person's moving and you can improve those. If they've got these many issues at once, chances are their center of gravity is forward and they suck with gravity. So take gravity out and improve their range of motion, not by stretching, but by working within their available range. So, for example, another way to bring the center of gravity back is doing exercises where I'm facing towards the cable machine. Think about it. If I grab a cable, the cable's going to pull me forward towards it. So I've got to lean back naturally against it. So I'm starting with my center of gravity backwards to counteract the forward pull of the cable machine. I can do reverse sled drags. I can walk downhill. Right? All these things are going to make me lean back. So a long-winded answer is no, perfect. Yeah. use the objective measurements and then take away gravity and bring them back. No, I love it. Man, I like I've never heard gravity being talked about. Just, just ever, right? <laughs> but I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it makes sense what you're saying. You throw those dumbbells up overhead. Well, um, I guess the only context I would say I've heard gravity being talked about is like during acceleration uh, from a sprint, yeah. where again, the further you lean forward, the more gravity is it, you know, enacting or reacting on you. 
you just, you need the strength to be able to get you need the mobility and the strength to get into those positions. So, man, exactly. that's just so, just crazy. So we so if we apply this to gait now, mm-hmm. we've got and even running and sprinting, mm-hmm. we've got two force factors at play always. We've got vertical force vectors and horizontal. Okay. So when, let's say that you are running, you've sprinted your max sprint, and then you're slowing yourself down, you're decelerating. What are you doing? You're kind of pushing yourself back. Does that make sense? That's going to be heel strike. When your foot first hits the ground, that's going to be a backwards horizontal force vector. That is shifting our center of gravity backwards. Think of your reverse sled drags. Think of um, your goblet squats, your heels elevated squats, all those things. Um, Then you've got your vertical force displacement. That is you jumping up and down. That is you pressing overhead. That is doing a lap pull down where there's more vertical movements. That happens during the mid stance of gait or during the you know, the jumping or the propulsion phase of like a a jump, okay? Then the last one is a forward horizontal force vector, which is, as you said, the end part of acceleration when you're kind of coming out like an air, coming up like an airplane, right? That is your toe-off and gait. And so now what you can do is, and we know that is going to be the most force required as well as the most gravity acting on you. So therefore, when we talk about like the normal periodization scheme, that is going to be like the the two weeks of SPP before training, which is max lifts, max output, highest intensity, low volume, max speed, like that's that stuff. That's the most gravity. Whereas earlier on in the off season, they're like, okay, let's do these hypertrophy things. Let's move to the full range of motion. That is going to be more your heel strike stuff, more your negative horizontal stuff. I want to work on deceleration, not acceleration. Because decelerating you is going to, you know, minimize contact forces. We're going to reduce the amount of forces impacting on your body because the force vector is going backwards, is not going straight up, which is a lot of, you know, tension and stuff. And so gravity is a force that is constantly trying to crush us to the ground. And there's a guy, Bill Hartman, he says, gravity eventually is going to kill you one day. And you look at the older people when they start to hunch over, like that's what they're losing the battle against gravity. But by standing up, it's harder because gravity's there. We add more weight. We've got gravity and this weight. And so we just got to minimize the amount of gravity and minimize or, or bring the center of gravity back so that we can improve as much range of motion as possible. Got it. Man, no, it's, it's good. I, I've heard you, heard you on different podcasts talking about the gate cycle and uh, the, the training implications with it. Just cool, man. Like just, just a lot of stuff I haven't heard yet. Um, so obviously, you know, you went out there, you, you grinded and hustled to, to learn it all. So I appreciate it. Uh, one, one more kind of one for you here. Um, I heard you say, I forget which podcast it was, but box squats are going to bias internal rotation. Heel elevated squats are going to bias external rotation. And so as a hockey guy, anything to do with internal external rotation when it comes to the hip, like, man, I'm all over that stuff. Uh, so my first question is like, Oh dang, Oh, where, where, how can I learn a little bit more of that? Uh, explain that a little bit more for me and kind of how you might use that in training after, uh, an assessment. Yeah. So if you look at, this goes back to like functional anatomy stuff, you look at Newman's book called Musculoskeletal System or something like that, kinesiology, whatever. Um, what he talks about is hip flexion during different parts of the hip flexion, our muscles change their leverage. So think of your sticking point. Sticking point is around 80 to 90 degrees of knee and hip flexion. 
That's the hardest part of the movement. That at 60 degrees of hip flexion is when muscles like our piriformis, which are external rotators, um, are our adductors, which have an external rotation component to it. Our glutes, specifically like our glute medius, have the posterior and the anterior glute med. They will change their leverage as internal rotators. They will become internal rotators at around 60 degrees of hip flexion. 60 to about 100 or so. And so anterior glute med is a flexor and an internal rotator. And its maximal contraction is about 80 degrees of hip flexion. So it'll internally rotate the femur. So if you are going to think about it from that perspective, you are going to place a box at around 80 to 90 degrees of hip flexion, and you're going to constrain the person to not go lower than that. So what they're going to do is they're going to squat down. They're going to maximize the internal rotation of those muscles and of the joints and then by standing up, you then got to internally rotate again, right? So you've got the deceleration internal rotation, which is going down to a squat, and then you've got the acceleration. So it's like doing a non-counter movement jump or like a seated box jump. That's another example of it. You're producing internal rotation by sitting at 90 degrees. Now you're positioning the muscles and the joints to leverage more internal rotation so that they can propel and now create the force production because internal rotation is force production. So a hockey player who has a pelvis dump, dump forward, lower doses or back arch, right? hyperextended knees, some, a lot of them anyway, have varus knees. They got these knees pointing out, these hips pointing out because that's their sport. Like all of those compensations are because of a lack of internal rotation. If I can't IR my hip, I will IR my back, which is arching. If I cannot IR my hip, I will hyperextend my knees. I will flare my ribs up. So if I can give that person internal rotation, then I can reduce some of those needs to co- needs to compensate or needing to compensate that is so I can reduce the depth um, to promote more internal rotation so think of anything that is concentric biased as well a step up that's all hip extension that's internal rotation I can start their their leg on a box at 60 to 90 degrees so I'm staying within that internal rotation range right? Um, A trap bar deadlift, same thing. It's all concentric. There's not a huge eccentric part of that movement. You are trying to break inertia. Like the the bar is on the ground. You got to pick it up and push through the ground. There's no lowering and then coming up. And of course, when you hold the bar, there is an eccentric, but it's very short. It's mostly concentric, right? So we can bias those things. From a heels elevated standpoint, that will bias more external rotation for a couple of reasons. One, by elevating my heels, that's going to open up the front of my ankle. That then is going to bring my shin backwards. That's why the ankle opens, right? If you think of like dorsiflexion as a closing of the ankle, right? Like the angle between the shin and the foot closes, and then you've got um, plantar flexion, which is like pointing of the toe. So if you were to take a picture of somebody after their feet land, or sorry, after their feet come off the ground from a jump, you'll see their toes kind of point in and down, and they have a higher arch. That is plantar flexion. That is external rotation all the way up the chain. So if I elevate the heel, I'm going to open up the front of the ankle. That is going to shift my shin back. That is going to shift my center of gravity back. That is going to externally rotate my ankle, tibia, and hip. And therefore, I'm going to improve external rotation of the hip. 
So if I've got somebody who can squat to 100 degrees in their squat, okay, I know they have the internal rotation. What they're missing is that external rotation to sit right down the bottom. Because after about 100 degrees, the, or about 120 degrees, motion in the hip is done. That's the max amount of motion in the hip is 120. So I've got to get that extra movement somewhere to get to the 180, which is astagrass. That comes from the lumbar spine flexing. It's not butt wink. It's just a flexing of the lumbar spine. It's natural. So butt winking and flexion of the lumbar spine are very different. Um, so I need to bias. Maybe I give them a heels elevated squat instead. So I can start to give them more external rotation because they've got enough internal rotation to go through that phase of the motion. So I got to give them a heels elevation to open that up. Conversely, you've got somebody who is just stiff as a brick. They've got nothing. You've got their hip flexion socks. Um, you know, maybe they've got like FAI or something like that. Heels elevation to a box is going to be money for them because you're going to they don't have anything, so you're going to give them external rotation, which is what they need between 0 to 60. And then you get them to a box so they can stop in the internal rotation phase. So you're just getting them both at the same time. Wow. So my favorite exercise, um, I've consulted with some you know, sports teams. My favorite exercise to give at the beginning of an offseason is and even during the season to offload them because they're, they're getting crushed by being on the ice and, and whatnot. Heels elevated, goblet squat to a box, tempo, right? You are going to reduce gravity. You're going to increase physiological demand, but reduce the load putting put on the joints. So, both of those strategies, you're getting two in one. And so, and then eventually you remove the box, then you remove the wedges, and then you just squat it out, right? But they're just constraints so that you don't have to cue your athlete to do something, especially with younger kids or even people who are inexperienced with training. The more constraints, the better, because you cue them, they are not going to know what the hell you're talking about. Because they have no reference points to be able to say, hey, okay, I remember that this squat is kind of like this. They've got no context at all. Instead, you'd be like, hey, put your feet on those ramps. Grab the kettle, grab the dumbbell or the kettlebell towards your chest. Now sit down. Right? But don't go onto your toes. Stay more on your heels. That's it. So your major cues are sit down, don't lose your heels. Now you've got two cues versus saying, okay, don't hinge your hips back. Don't, you know, go onto your toes too much. Don't arch your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, kettlebell, stopping them from arching their back. The, key, the wedges or the ramps are stopping them from, going, from arching their back. Mm -hmm. The box is stopping them from going too much onto their toes, right? So it's like you've constrained them so that you have made sure the body is doing what it needs to do. I love it. Well, hey, Alex, did thank you so much. The uh, the time you gave me before the uh, the almost fifty minutes here, uh, I you know I took a ton of notes and this is recorded. And my brain's just going like crazy. So uh, I <laughs> I really appreciate it, man. And so uh, for the listeners out there make sure you're following Alex on Instagram. It's a sin that he only has, uh, uh, almost 18,000. Let's get that up. Uh, you know, tell, <laughs> tell people, go follow him, uh, at Alex on Instagram and his, uh, his company's training company, resilient training and rehab. And under that resilient education, and I've scrolled through, uh, I'll, I'll let him know, uh, like I'm, I, I need it. I want, I want the lower body program. I want the upper body program. Uh, cause clearly, yeah, if you've listened to this or have seen Alex's stuff on Instagram, dude knows what he's talking about. He's got the experience and the education. 
uh, and those are people that I want to be learned from. Uh, so Alex, hey, did I miss anything? Anything else you want to plug here? If you want to talk about your mentorship a little bit as well, uh, please feel free. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you covered everything. I would just say that, you know, um, what I try to do, everything that I put out, whether that it's a post, whether it's my mentorship or my programs, they are all based on experience mm-hmm. and questions that I've had. And so what I want to do is just put them together into different programs or courses to educate people so that I can answer the questions and really skip steps. Like I made a lot of mistakes early mm-hmm. in my career. I read a bunch of useless stuff, took a bunch of useless courses. And like I said, I've narrowed it down to these are the things that people need to do to do to become the most successful at programming, assessing, and just, you know, accelerating your results because I've done the the shit work for you, you know, (laughs) but it's really the programs, the upper and lower body program, they are, they do have some like presentation aspect to it, but it's mostly how I categorize exercises into different phases of gait and how they affect center of gravity and as well as gravity. And then the mentorship is teaching you everything about how to think about the body, how to assess, how to program, and then all application every week. And so like for me, it's something that I put together because I wanted to provide a resource that I wish I had throughout my career. Right. So but Chris, man, I really appreciate you for having me. It's a blast. I always love doing these. So if you ever want to do another one, I'm game. Uh, no, don't don't say that to me. I'm a I'm a definite re, I'm a repeat customer. Uh, I love it. I love but, it. Yeah, like you said earlier, of like when you dig in for one to three months, like yeah, yes. I, I I enjoy that as well. But uh, I'm gonna kind of sign us off here, Alex. Just stick around for a second. Uh, and we'll we'll be all set all right thanks for listening to another episode of victory over self radio episodes are available anywhere you listen to podcasts and we also have videos and clips of each episode on our victory over self athletics youtube channel like and subscribe and let us know if there's any person or topic you'd like us to cover we'll see y'all next time